week five of germ syllabus. Um, I am Tessa, and this week's theme is products reflect business models. And that is a great theme for us this week with Elon Musk taking over Twitter over the last few days and floating a million different monetization schemes. Um, I want to take a minute to summarize what we've been up to. This is our fifth installation of Germ Syllabus. So we are halfway through our 10-week series. And then I'll open the floor up for us to just check in and chat. My co-founder, Brett, is here under the Germ icon. I also want to honor that it is election night and we're sort of choosing to tap out of paying attention to the results coming in for a minute, but I'm sure um, we all will be (laughs) checking in at various points as well. Just for folks that are tuning in for the first time, maybe, maybe on a podcast, Um, Germ Network is social media built to empower its users through our design as well as our technology. And we are building our community here on Twitter and also on Discord to stay accountable to our users, our future users, to learn what you all depend on and are missing in social and to share our perspective on how we're approaching social media and messaging. I am Tessa. I was a digital literacy expert at Stanford before leaving to found this company. And Brett is an amazing UX designer. Um, Also to remind folks that this is really a course. And all the materials that I discuss here are posted in our Discord. And we are here every Tuesday night at 7 Pacific. And we hang out in Discord on Friday afternoons. And we have chat rooms there as well. So just a little summary of what we've been up to for the last few weeks. I don't know if I could keep summarizing every week all the way through 10 weeks. It's starting to get long. But the first week we met, we welcomed Professor Sherry Williams from American University, and she shared her research on the Black Syllabus Movement, and I shared how I framed hashtag germ syllabus within that emerging tradition of radical teach-ins on Twitter. Week two, we talked about bias and misogyny in the Internet's foundations, and I discussed UCLA scholar Sophia Noble's work, as well as the film The Social Network. And then week three, we had a wonderful, sometimes tough conversation about the expansion of surveillance technology, particularly in Gen Z's lives, in their families and at school. And then last week's chat about affirmative consent and product design with Jane M is rescheduled for November 29th. So I'm really looking forward to that. So this week, the theme is products reflect business models. And if you've been to any of these calls, or if you've really even talked to me much about social media in the last year or so, you've probably heard me wax poetic on this. The articles that I gathered this week Several of them I used to teach in my hashtag activism course at Stanford. And these articles were really core to me understanding the dynamics of ad-supported social media, which was fundamental to me having the bravery and the ganas to start this company. Um, You may have heard the aphorism, if you're not paying, you're the product, But not only does this mean that we are addicted and riled up to make us more available to advertisers, 
It also means, and I think this is where innovation and disruption can come in, that major communication platforms aren't building the products that we really want because they're not building for us. So it's not just that they're making us crazy. They also, on a more mundane, functional level, are not optimized for our lives, despite the incredible amount of resource that goes into them and how much we use them. 80% of Americans aren't happy with the data that platforms collect about us, but we don't have options in this monopoly environment. The articles that I gathered this week, and I have tweeted them, and they're all up in Discord, they center around two main themes or trends in advertiser-supported social media. Um, the first kind of theme is in articles about TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube discussing how they radicalize their users. Basically, the theme there is that fringe content, politically fringe content, is highly addictive and highly engaging. And so these ad-supported platforms' algorithms have learned to send users into rabbit holes of extremist and dishonest content because that keeps users online viewing ads. And that's what these platforms are really built for, is to keep us viewing ads. I think in some ways this resonates with what we discussed in week two about Sophia Noble's work and how she showed that Google really sorts information by popularity, not by quality. Well, so does YouTube. The other articles that I gathered are about Twitter and Facebook and the tension between growth versus trust and safety and the ways that growth is constantly prioritized over trust and safety. One of the pieces is about the feature people you might know at Facebook. And it's a little bit of a long read, but it's a really, really interesting discussion in that piece about how the growth team explicitly discussed how they chose to retain new users over protecting existing users' experiences. Because basically when you're an existing user and you're a stable user and you have your friends set up, it's annoying to constantly get all these friend requests from like marginal friends all the time. But that is what keeps the new people on the platform. So you're almost subsidizing the new users with social capital from the existing users. The other piece that I included, which really has stayed with me for years since I first taught it in 2017, is about a senior engineer at Twitter who raised concerns in 2015 about dormant bot accounts um, located in Russia and Ukraine. And incidentally, he was also one of the only senior black engineers at Twitter. But basically, he raised this concern to his own team, the trust and safety team. But the growth team was above the trust and safety team in the org chart. And basically, the growth team wouldn't deactivate these accounts because they would make their growth metrics go down, even though those were the accounts that ended up being such a huge nightmare during the 2016 election. At Germ, we want to empower users to connect with control. And one of the questions I get is whether that's really possible to achieve virality that way. Do you really have to hack human relationships to grow? 
But I was reflecting that one of the reasons we're called germ is that self-organizing growth is a law of the universe. Growth is a fundamentally natural process, and so is human connection and human self-organization. Um, I want to build tools that empower people to connect and disconnect on their own terms. I don't think we have to hack that. To do that, I believe we have to sell products directly to users because that is what is going to create self-sustaining business model mechanics that actually align us with our users when they are our customers. And we have to figure out what they really want so that they'll buy things from us. Companies like Discord, Slack, Spotify, I love the Chani app, which is an astrology app. They're all doing amazing on freemium. I think we're not used to paying for social media, but when you look at it carefully, we pay the costs in other ways, whether you have a small business and you're on the other side of being a merchant on Facebook or Instagram, or if you use free Gmail, but then you have to buy storage. I just recently started getting alerts that my Google storage is filling up, but they make it really hard to delete stuff because they want you to pay for storage. <laughs> um, I would rather have transparent pricing that lets me buy what I really need rather than being given distorted versions of what we need for free and then tricked into buying things that shouldn't exist, like all the garbage data that is stored up in my Google account. So that's all to say that tonight I hope that we can chat about, and it's going to start out just with Brett here, like what are your favorite platforms and what are their business models and can we suss out how that affects the experience that we have on there also, what do we pay for and what feels unfair to pay for? What are the patterns that we're communicating through and why? How do we wish we could communicate if we weren't distorted by these business imperatives? So those are some of the questions on my mind tonight. And Brett, what's up? Yeah, that's um, it's all interesting stuff. I think it's it's interesting because before I was working on Germ, like I didn't really think of like how does Twitter make money, how does Facebook make money, and yeah, like it just wasn't like a thing I thought about. And I imagine that's what a lot of users feel, um, and they don't like necessarily think on on that front. But yeah, now that I am working for Germ, or and just generally more aware of that stuff with like um that whole like uh scandal with facebook from um which one yeah exactly uh the well the cambridge analytica one uh for sure but the other one with um i think it was hoggin um who uh, oh yeah blower um how she uh like she found that like facebook was like actually like going into people's data and like using all these targeted ads and things like that, it just really starts to get you thinking of like, yeah, you're using these products. Like Facebook is free, Twitter is free, um, and that's why they're so accessible or why they're they became so popular is because they're so free. But then you you really just have to think of like you're paying for your own personal data, like basically in a sense and you know usually like if you go to 
even like some place like a McDonald's, you know, you're paying with actual money to get food. That's just how it works. Uh, whereas for for any of these social networking companies, you're paying uh, for your attention, their screen time. You're like just your like even if they do have ads, that's that's where you're they're making their money basically. So it was, it was just like you know it's it's not like something that like a, your your normal person would think of I guess I I think what really tuned me into it was actually watching the social dilemma of like because they really go into the intricacies of how it works and what mm-hmm. and what it um and what it does like to the point where they were saying how like some of the Facebook execs um wouldn't allow their kids to go on facebook uh because they know what they're doing like they know that they're like harvesting their own kids personal data basically um and they know how harmful social media is and that's like a true tell of it is that they're like you know they wouldn't even though they built the product they wouldn't let their kids use it so it just makes it yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess there, like, you know, there is that element of, like, if, because, I mean, I guess it's very relevant now with Elon Musk buying Twitter and doing that, like, $8 a month type thing. Like, if if Twitter started doing that right away, where they made it $8 to use it, I mean, I know it's, like, for verified accounts, I don't think it would, um, but like it, it seems in general that's what they're, that's what Elon is pushing Twitter towards is where mm-hmm. like a lot of people are going to be getting like $8 a month for this type of service. And I feel like if they started doing that right away, Twitter wouldn't be as popular just because it's free. It comes with a price. <laughs> it's like an, like, I feel like that's like a Yogi Berra oxymoron kind of thing but Mm -hmm. um but it's just like there there's like i i guess like i did mention like mcdonald's in a way it's like there's there's a reason that mcdonald's is cheaper than like your healthy food because right like you're you're also paying in other ways right 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 exactly like you're you're paying like yeah it's good food but you're you're basically when you're paying for healthier food, you're paying for the quality of the food too. Cause it's like, okay, there's no sugar in it, less carbs, all that stuff. But like, okay. But I also, sometimes I just want to have a, I can't even think like a Mick, a Mick burger. It's been a long time. Since <laughs> I, I don't even know. A what big the, Mac? The, a Big Mac. I can even think of that. <laughs> So sometimes I just want a burger um, or like, or like, you know, you think of those families that are on a low income, like the parents that have a low income stuff, so they can't afford to go to Whole Foods every week. So they just go to McDonald's. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. But like, the point is, is that, right, like, just because it's cheap or free, it's, it does get more widely used but that doesn't mean that it's good or good quality. Yeah. I mean, I think a question that is becoming 
important in this moment is whether paid social media could really work or how. Right. You know, it's been interesting watching Musk mess around with his, you know, $8 verified this week because I think, you know, I'm not a fan of his really in any way, but like, I am a fan of freemium. You know, you and I have been talking about freemium for a really long time. And I've for years said that I thought that Twitter could do some really good things with freemium and it could actually, you know, because a lot of the things that have made freemium more annoying over the years have been things that are clearly more oriented to advertisers than to us. And there is so much that could be done with this platform that, I don't know anymore if I could ever be converted on Twitter, but once upon a time I could have been turned probably into a paying Twitter customer, but it's like, you have to do, you know, you have to do research and you have to like get to know the users and you, especially when you have such a huge community, you have to seem somewhat accountable or at least just basically listening to them because people also vote with their wallets and there's so many people that really hate Elon Musk and like don't want to co-sign don't want to give him their money you know and not just I think I think more importantly besides the kind of personality clash issues is like business I mean you and I talked about this a year ago two years ago when we were first thinking about, you know, where would we want to charge, like, for Germ? Because where we landed was, Germ is going to be a free messenger, and then you're going to pay for certain local discovery features. Because we were thinking about just the ways that wherever you insert the payment tier, like, that is where you're trying to convert people. And so there's all sorts of kind of distortions that happen like around that inflection point. And, you know, what's happening with Twitter is like verification really should not be paid because verification is like a public service that is against or it should be available to everyone, basically, and everyone pays for it, or I don't know. But it needs to be implemented, like, really, really carefully to not distort the experience of the app. Because what everyone is saying is verification used to be for public figures, and it was about really verifying that you are who you say you are. But now it's basically just going to become, like, a pay-to-play and have a privileged experience of the app. So it's going to become more like a Twitter, um, it's going to become more like a Tinder plus, right? Where like, I remember when I was on Tinder a few years ago, (laughs) and I remember thinking like, okay, it was this price tier on Tinder that, you know, you get unlimited like super likes or something. So I only ever got super liked by like middle-aged men. Because that was the only people that was paying for, like, Tinder Plus. So it kind of just distorted the user behavior in that way. And it's about to do that on Twitter, too. Um, 
I don't know. That's all to say that I believe in freemium, but it has to be done carefully and thoughtfully because the dynamics that it creates are quite profound. Yeah, that's a good point about the Tinder experience. I remember I um, there was a point, I, I don't know, like I think I had like a free trial for Tinder and like it was kind of cool, but like, Oh no no it was for Bumble um and it was it was weird cuz like you could see who had swiped right on you before you played mm-hmm, the game mm-hmm. basically and it was so weird too cuz like it felt like you're cheating on the actual cuz the thing with like, right. Tinder and Bumble is that you like it's fun like to see like who swipes right on you, who swipes left on you. It's like a game in a way. Yes, totally. Yeah, I know it's like you're trying to find um, a person that you want to connect with, but like it's just like a little like fun little thing where it's like, oh, okay, you're swiping right, you're swiping left. But it's just like so – it was so strange that you're like paying for that feature where – and then like – so then I just like – I felt like it just took out all the fun of – of Bumble because like I already knew who swiped right on me and who like you know so it's just like and then there came a point when um then I like turned it off and then it was unusable because I like I like because then they they force it on you of like hey don't you want to see who swiped right on mm-hmm. you like or like then you have to like like, is it's just not clear that, like, that person who did end up swiping right on you is in your deck or whatever. Hmm. So it was just, like, it made it kind of confusing in a design sense. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there there is that element. And we, we did discuss about this a lot when we were talking about Germ and that we are, like, you know, I, I think it there was a uh, I think in that focus group of like that I think there were maybe a couple of other questions as well or other people who have mentioned this as well is that it's like why pay for features that are already there um, in other like if they can go to another platform and get a feature mm-hmm. like why do why would you pay for something else um, yeah in, in our thing and that's going to be something that we're going to have to like always have to combat but I think it's yeah I, I guess going back to that fast food analogy it's like yeah you you want to pay for better quality experience and you know and we're hoping that when you pay for you know when germ comes out as a product it's going to be a better experience where you're going to have yeah you're you're going to find people in a safe way and connect with them on interests and causes that they care about and that's something that you can't find anywhere else in a distinct way i guess um but like yeah i guess that's kind of like the trick for us in a sense totally it's just it's just how do we market that I guess mm-hmm. or how do we mm-hmm. make it so that like without even trying it why does why would a user want 
to pay for what we're asking them to pay for. Yeah, I mean, I think that will be, you know, a lot of our job over the last, the next few years. And that's what it's all about, finding product market fit. I mean, I think something else that's on my mind is like doing that sort of discovery transparently and ethically. Um, I mean, I was, you know, prepping for this episode, reflecting on my own like freemium subscription habits. And one of the platforms that I pay for is called Instapaper. And it's like a reading app. It's an article kind of collating app. And I have so many like years of articles in there now because it's a plugin on my browser. So I just save stuff there all the time and read it later. And like, I think I've used it. I think I've used it since I lived in Sunnyvale. So that has to be like eight years now, which is wild. But after a couple of years of using it for free, one day I went to search and it was like search had become part of the subscription tier. And I was so mad. <laughs> I felt that was so annoying. They basically held me hostage. I couldn't search anymore. So I started paying them like $3 a month. And, you know, I think what's ironic, I guess, from a business perspective is like their tactic worked, like it's a low cost enough subscription and a crucial enough feature that I said, yes, and I've let them charge me $3 a month every month, probably for four years now. Um, And it's just this random little app, you know, but when you kind of trap people and you have a lot of their data sunk into an app like they and you make it hard for them to leave you know they don't want to leave I really hope that we can find ways for germ to charge for things that are not tricky are not deceptive that are value add I mean I always admire brands that like I've thought about this a lot just starting a business period like not all businesses are deceptive that they sell to you. A lot of businesses, we choose to support them. We want to go to the local bookstore. We want to go to the local theater. We want to go to our favorite bakery. We want to support clothing brands that we like. We want to support, you know, you and I have talked a lot about communities that we want to support. And like, it doesn't always have to be a trick. We all spend money every day on things. It's not, not every cent has to be, you know, extorted out of us. And I just know that it's a personal goal for me to find ways to develop products that feel like they enrich people's lives and like we can price them fairly and we can have tiers of things. People rely on so many digital tools, you know, we pay for more and more digital tools every day. Like, why wouldn't people pay a few dollars a month for whatever it is that we can build for them? But it's like only by selling it. I think that's what this theme is really about for me this week. Only by selling it to our users are we going to build the thing that we that they need enough to buy it from us. Like if we sell, if we build things predominantly and we initially, you know, get traction as an ad supported pro- like platform, we'll never have our sites trained on our users as like the source of our innovation and the source of our revenue. And then you end up like Elon Musk with a platform that was ad supported for years. And one day you want to roll out $8 a month. It's not going to fly. You know, you have to think carefully about that stuff and really 
have your eyes trained on your users from the beginning, I hope. Oh, yeah, that's kind of like, um, that's kind of cheap in a way of that, that, that example that you shared of like, it's like features like search should be like a universal feature. Literally, like, like it's yeah. so essential. <laughs> right, right. So, and like, I mean, and I think like that's kind of what we're doing at Germ of like, okay, messaging you can always message someone or, you know, whoever you're connected with. Um, that will always be a free thing. Um, I guess for like to transition it over, I think like Twitter will always be like free. It's just, it sounds like if you pay, there's like, there's going to be more perks to it. Um, but I, I feel like that's just like an ethical thing of like, once you make a product free or a feature free, like a search bar, that should be free um, forever um, and for the existence of that product. But yeah, I, I, I do, I am curious to see if like, what's the bigger change that Elon makes in the grand scheme of things. Cause like, I guess like from the sense of like, you know, Twitter, doesn't like it is very widely used but no one like it doesn't make any money and so it does make some sense semblance of sense for uh like you know to have this like premium program uh so that twitter does make some money but if you make the whole platform like a paid thing then it won't be as popular anymore um kind of reminds me back to um this like figma adobe uh, merger thing that's happening where um for i guess for the podcast purposes i'll explain it there's uh so uh i guess a couple of months ago um adobe uh so i use figma uh for all our ux design needs um it's a great it's a great platform um you can like prototype screens, you can create screens. It's uh, probably the best design tool I've ever used, but it's purely uh, free. All the features are free. Um, we did, um, I think we eventually did pay for its pro program, but I yeah. don't, I don't think it's like we could really realistically speaking, I think we could get by without paying them. Um, but we do, we have paid for that, for it. But anyways, uh, a couple months ago, for those not informed, um, Adobe merged with Figma, um, and, or like they're now, they bought Figma. Um, I think the process is still in the works or anything like that. And the thing with Adobe is I, I also have a graphic design background, so I do use Adobe products as well, um. It's like Photoshop, Illustrator, um, InDesign. Um, it's pretty much has, like Adobe pretty much has the, like every product in the design industry is pretty much made by Adobe, um, except for Figma um, until now, obviously. And so like when this happened or when this news came out, there was a lot of uproar with 
people who just use Figma primarily because for Adobe, you have to pay for uh, to use Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign. Quite um, a lot. They're not... Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, on this Adobe Cloud thing. And um, yeah, it's just interesting because Figma, the Figma CEO had said that he like Figma is always going to be free. The Adobe CEO also said that Figma is like, they have no plans on making Figma hmm. pay uh, a paid thing either. And it makes sense because a lot of like people use Figma because it is free and it like, it gets people like new people who aren't into design or who want to know about design. Like it's an easy way to learn about design through Figma. So, so there is that element of it, but, you know, on the other hand, from like as a founder now where I am thinking of it on the business side of things, it's like, I don't know how Figma can make money because like one of the best features is because all of, all of it is free. So like I totally get it from a business standpoint of why they would merge with Adobe because they need, you know, they need money and they need a business model like that uh, to, to survive. Yeah. I mean, this taps into like deeper venture capital dynamics that I think, you know, we'll have to be really careful about because we are raising venture, although maybe it's better that we're raising in a bear market because we're going to be pressured, you know, to actually be revenue positive, like faster. Because basically on the VC model, you know, investors really get paid when the company either goes public and is wildly successful or when the company sells, right? So all the investors and the CEO of Figma just made bank with the sale. And I think that goes back to all of this growth stuff and like, you know, that story I was telling about Instapaper because it's kind of, we've been living in an era of like monopoly tactics where companies basically get subsidized by VC money for years and grow as huge as they possibly can. I mean, Amazon did this, Uber did this, Facebook has done this, and they grow for years and years and years. They go push all of the competitors out of business by undercutting their prices and making no money for years. And then either they sell and they maybe sell you out, right? That's what everyone's nervous about at Figma. Or they start charging you for like ridiculous things like at Uber where the prices of Ubers have skyrocketed and Uber's drivers wages have gone down or at Facebook where they're toggling all the merchants reach and no one can make a living anymore. And they're basically being, you know, extorted for ad spend. So it's like there's also these deeper dynamics in the broader capital markets that encourage companies to behave this way towards their users and I think that's going to be the hardest part of all is building a consumer brand I mean that's what was so radical about WhatsApp too is that you know WhatsApp used to be a dollar a download and they made hundreds of millions of dollars off of that because they just simply made a product that people wanted enough that they would pay for it 
But then, you know, they became free. Facebook bought them. Facebook is keeping them free, but Facebook is now collecting all of your metadata off of WhatsApp. So it's like, do you want to pay for it or do you want to have a worse experience? Like, I really hope that with Germ, we can find a way to charge people for the right things that are already worth money, but also have like meaningful free tiers that just sort of kind of come from a spirit of generosity, but also, you know, it becomes a channel to the paid tiers. But I think studying, you know, these comparable businesses have really made me very sensitive to the ways that wherever you charge for things and whomever you're charging, you're creating dynamics that shape your whole business and shape, you know, your user's whole experience. And it's more than just when they run their credit card. Yeah, I didn't know that story about WhatsApp. You probably have mentioned that before about how it was $1 to download um, the app. But yeah, I guess it's it's interesting how like then eventually they change all their ethics in a way when they get bought by Facebook. That, totally. That's just a, yeah, it's just like interesting just from like, even from the very start, like I would assume the people who did pay that $1, like didn't expect it to, like they were probably paying it because it was the anti Facebook. And then when you, and then all of a sudden they get bought by it, it's kind of like a slap in the face um, in that sense. Um, Yeah. I think the founder, I mean, The founder has a quotation like, I sold my user's privacy. I live with that every day. And then he also took, you know, he walked $50 million or something like that over to Signal and became like the director of Signal's board and their CEO, um, Brian Acton. So he somewhat put his money where his mouth was, but... Yeah, the WhatsApp story is always like a touchstone. There's so many lessons there, I feel, for any social startup founder. Yeah, I mean, I guess we are a social startup founder. But yeah, um, yeah, you did you did mention that, of the, that he did, like a guy from WhatsApp did go and start Signal. But didn't the guy from Signal, they, they ended up getting an investor... It was that guy. He didn't start Signal. He joined and, yeah, funded them. Mm -hmm. So I guess in that sense, then he did kind of put his money where his mouth is, as you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Signal had been founded already, and then Brian Acton took a bunch of his, like, WhatsApp sale money and went and basically turbocharged Signal's bank account. (laughs) You You did mention that before. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just like interesting because I feel like there has to be some type of line though because you want to get users to use the product, of course, but there's also like, okay, but how does it make money and all that stuff? It's, um, yeah, it's just something that every, every business, not just us, but every social network has to, has to think about. Yeah, I think I'm very interested as we move forward to, I mean, it's interesting watching Meredith Whitaker as the new president of Signal because she has been talking really vocally about wanting to get people doing more like micro donations to Signal, like $5, $20. 
And she's kind of talking the way that we are, except that Signal isn't a business. It's a nonprofit. And so it's never, they're never going to charge you like a recurring subscription. They're never going to fully paywall anything. It's always going to be by donation. And I think we made, you know, a different decision that, you know, well, why not just charge for some things? Like why... You don't need to be able to build giant communities with super duper features, these huge, you know, technological suites that we have that are all free. But at the same time, you know, I studied this stuff teaching class called digital activism. Like that's why everyone comes together on these platforms is because they are free. So there definitely is a lot of tension there. I think for me, the place that I've landed and what I know is that we have to innovate business models along with product because business models shape product. So it's like, it's not enough to just think about the product alone and then say, oh, we'll just figure out the revenue model later. We'll just charge for something eventually. Like that needs to be part of the design process, the business model I mean, that sounds obvious, but I see a lot of consumer social companies and they just don't do that. And it feels really arbitrary and very just distorting as a user. So just really bringing that care to the dynamics that we create with what we're going to paywall eventually. Yeah, I guess that's like the beauty of like a free premium product. Is there like a, I'm trying to think, is there like a... Yeah, I thought that's what I said. Um, you I said know, free premium. Free premium. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, uh, I forget. I mean, I know we had this discussion uh, a long time ago, but is there like a model that we're like, that we're inspired by from another company? You know, I have a map in our pitch deck of competition and their business models the one that is the most similar to us, and I think this is ultimately why we decided to build our community there, is Discord. Because Discord is a freemium model. And Discord's metrics are interesting because they, you know, I've been studying conversion rates. So, like, conversion rates are in a freemium platform or for a premium platform, conversion rates are like what percentage of the users, you know, convert to paying customers. And it's usually around like five to 10%. The really sort of successful outlier is Slack, which has like a 30% conversion rate, which is amazing. Discord, interestingly, has a 1% conversion rate. And it's just interesting because their annual subscription is really expensive. It's like a hundred bucks for Nitro, but then 1% of their users convert. So basically one out of every hundred users pays a hundred dollars. So their annual revenue is about equal to their total users. So there's something like they have 140 million users and they made $130 million last year. So it's like the numbers do work out. And I mean, that's why soft, you know, that's why people still go for this because the margins with software companies are like 80 to 90%. So once you reach that scale and you have that conversion, like 
the more you grow, the costs are not going up that much anymore. Um, so the metrics are there, you know, when you do hit like really serious numbers and you don't, I mean, the discord story is really interesting because you don't need, you know, huge conversion. Like they're supporting their company at 1% conversion. So I find that really gratifying, but then of course, you know, discord has a very different like target market than us. And it has a very different kind of set of user behaviors than us. So I still think they're not, you know, there's a lot of space for us in that sector, but I see that as like the future of these business models. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm now looking at like what because features for Discord Nitro, I guess it's their premium. Is yeah, what they call Nitro. their premium thing. Yeah, so I guess it just seems like there's there like you can better video quality or audio quality, more like uh, emojis you can use, reactions you can use, and things like that. Yeah, I guess the thing with like Discord is that like it started off as a gaming community and if you're a gamer you are you're interested like okay it's like it's good for that because you can voice chat with someone very easily um or you can video chat with someone very easily and then it kind of morphed into or they changed their target audience so that it's like more inclusive where you i i feel like you see all these like web3 discords uh, Patreon, they have like a, a, a partnership with Patreon so that like every Patreon has a Discord and it's like it's interworking with with the Discord. So you always have like, so when you're on Patreon, it works with Discord and that's kind of like a interesting business model for them too. If like kind of like a symbiotic relationship with each other um, in a way. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting because like you, I, I think the thing with Discord is like you can have a good experience without paying for Discord, but it seems like if you do pay for Discord, it's it's also like a pretty good experience as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I paid. It's interesting. It's you know, it's in. I'm glad that we're using Discord so we can also experience like freemium economics up close because a discord like in our discord we mostly chat but we have audio some audio calls and like the audio call quality depends on your payment and so I almost immediately when we had our discord paid them a hundred dollars so that we could have like better audio quality because our calls sounded like crap and they still compared with Clubhouse and compared with Twitter Spaces and compared with Zoom, they still sound like crap because there's even higher fidelity that you could get from paying even a hundred more dollars. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And I think it's interesting too, like their target market with the gamers and everything, because each tier of payment on Discord bundles a bunch of features and like hi-fi video and audio are just two of them but there's also all these stickers and boosts and upload file uploads sizes and stuff like that and it's just interesting because I can feel that those are targeted towards a user demographic that is not myself as like a 
kind of a basic community builder that really all I want is that audio visual fidelity. And I think those are the types of things that at Germ we'll be able to differentiate ourselves along. Like what does an everyday sort of non subcultural user just want to use for their communication utility? Like it's not these bespoke sticker packs. So it's just been interesting to kind of even notice like the trade-offs of being in a freemium ecosystem because it's already occurred to me. I think that's partly even why we do these calls on Twitter. I mean, I know part of it is to be more accessible and more visible, but I think for me, it's also for the audio quality because the audio quality on Twitter spaces is better than in our discord that I already paid a hundred bucks for. So, and then meanwhile, I'm saying I would never pay $8 a month for Twitter. So it's interesting, like the psychology of all these payments too. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, I mean, I think the the real reason why we moved, well, we we do have a Discord talk every Friday, uh, so it's not just Twitter Spaces for for right. this. But I I think for like the the reason why we moved like these talks to Twitter at all was just because it is more accessible. There's more people on Twitter who can hopefully find out about Germ before us. And then, like, the Discord stuff is, like, if you're a part of our, like, almost like a clubhouse, I guess. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just there. there is that aspect of it. Yeah, as for, like, the audio quality, I, I don't know. I guess it, maybe I'm just weird that I don't even really notice the audio quality difference from, like, Twitter spaces versus a Discord. And I, I do know that, like, when I been doing these user interviews like the people who do love discord like they talk about just the fact that they can talk with friends in an easy way um and so it's like they're not necessarily concerned about the audio quality as much they just want a place where they can talk with their friends um and their um or like they can share their screen in like in a in a way um and that's something that you can't do on Twitter. You can't do on Clubhouse. Um, so I, I think there is that element that we don't really take advantage of where it's like you can just, I mean, I guess we do it like every Friday we do have a Discord chat. And then I think you did every Monday. Um, I don't know if you still do it with Germ Syllabus, but every Monday you go on a Discord chat, a mm-hmm. voice chat. But like we do, we don't really use like a screen thing, a, a screen sharing thing, or like just even just on like a random a day or like a random time, we can just like go on a call or whatever. Just like there is that aspect of like oh, like someone's in the lobby almost, or it's like a it almost feels like a cafe in a sense of like oh, this person's here like at this hangout session and you're just hanging out with someone who's like a friend or whatever. Um, so totally. I, I get these. So from like, so I have seen those from like the user interviews where it's like, it just feels like they don't care about the audio quality. They just care about talking with their friend who's not physically in their room at that moment. They just want to mm-hmm. like jump on a call basically so I think there is like an element to that, but it sounds like even, even still like, you know, the audio quality aside that like 
Discord Nitro isn't worth it, like because there isn't like so many features that you would need to that you would want that um, makes the experience better. Is that true or? I mean, I guess I'm just reflecting on what you're saying, and what I'm also hearing is that like free software spoils you. <laughs> Because for me, as someone that has used Clubhouse, used Twitter spaces, like, I have maybe higher standards than teenagers that just want to talk to their friends. Like, the audio quality was not okay with me. (laughs) I wasn't down, you know? Um, So I think that also, I mean, just reflects how important, you know, understanding your customers are and your target market and why we're doing, you know, all the research that we've been doing and all the interviews that we've been doing to really understand for them, you know, what do they really care about and where should we place that payment inflection point? Um, I think for me, you know, I'm really not Discord's target user. Like there's reasons that we chose it. I'm glad that I think it was a good choice for us to build community on. There's a lot of reasons that it makes sense, but like I actually am not their target user and I feel the misfit when I use their products and when I think about what I'm paying for. It feels off. I can, you know, I can feel it. Yeah, that's a fair point. I guess there is like an element of, yeah, I think that just goes with the territory really. It's like we're, we're building a product that's not us basically but like i think you've mentioned before is like the thing like ideally we want to build our community on germ but the thing is is that germ the product doesn't exist just yet so like we're building the closest thing to it but the thing with that is the closest thing to it is discord and discord isn't like still doesn't have the things that we want on our platform. But I think so we I, keep yeah. we keep getting closer to it. I mean, even that comment that you just made is sticking in my head about that kid saying, you know, I just want to be able to jump onto a call and I'm thinking yeah. of conversations we've had about the importance of like the online notification, like the status notification for that, you know, knowing yeah. that your friend is online when you are, like how important that is and yeah, I mean, we, we do have that as, like, one of our features, or mm-hmm. I think we had that at one point of, like, when you can see... I think it's see... in the pipeline. Right, right, yeah. We, we It's, like, a future feature, right? We're not sure. I, I don't know. Should I even share this in a public setting like this? I think it's okay. Uh, I think it's okay. Okay. Well, okay. We're, we're thinking about it of yes. when you can see who's online, who's not online, and I mean, we also have like a call feature. That is something that we, we do have um, where you can like just jump on a, on a call with a, with a group um, that you're a part of. Um, so we do have that. But yeah, I mean, I guess to your point, like maybe there are other people um, who are teenagers who do actually care about audio quality. And, you know, once germs out, we'll make sure that the audio quality is the the perfect audio quality. Um, (laughs) Or we'll just have to see what they do care about, you know? Right. But like, you know, even even still like that could just be our differentiator from Discord. Like, you know, if you want better audio quality in your calls with your friends, 
all right, jump on, jump on germ instead of discord. Um, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's like, it, it's also just something that like, we're basically slaves to the users in a sense. I, I don't know if like that's the right saying, but well, we're we, basically... but I want to, let's say we're going to work for them, you know, cause right. I want to work for our users and not for advertisers. I mean, that's what, you know, Twitter right. and they all do. Right, right, right. But I guess like that, yeah, no, no, of course. I, I guess it just comes with like a cost in a way because like sometimes we, we if we do listen t- more to the advertisers, we'd probably be making less money than when we listen to like the users. So we hopefully like the, the needs of the advertisers our, our investors are the same as us and the users and we're, we're all in the same goal. But yeah, no, I guess that that is true of like, you know, okay, we'll always be listening to the users' problems first before before that cuz without them, yeah, there's no product. You're here to that. I didn't realize it's uh, 11:20. We were I know, so I was just going to say is that a is that a good note to end on? I think so, yeah. Another tiny podcast in the works. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for anyone who's listening to our podcast, join our Discord if you're not already. Here, here. Um, yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. Yeah, talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good, Brett. I'll catch you soon. Bye. Bye.